Mike Young, stories that need to be told, no musical intro needed. Friday night, 8.43, sitting in my apartment. I got to get some things off my chest. Great week. It's been a great week. I got to be honest. I'm just going let it, to let it, let it hang out there. I'm just going to tell you what's up. Straight up. Two weeks ago, I get a phone call from a good friend of mine. He's a manager in the business. He's a producer. He's a big-time guy. He calls me. He says, Young, I got someone I want you to meet. These guys are looking to make movies. They wanna, they're want to. they looking for a writer. They're looking for somebody to run a writer's room, develop projects for them. I said, you know what? That's weird because I've been dreaming about that for like the last six months. Like the last six months, I've been kind of like thinking, you know, I've been doing a lot of writing, a lot of directing. Maybe it's time to like think in like terms of like being a boss. You know, like run a room, get projects developed up to speed. And I've had like the great opportunity to work with really great producers in L.A., like the Scott Stubers of the world and, you know, sold a couple shows with them and, you know, saw how these the executives that actually have great creative input and can kind of get you from step one to the end to something in the can. I kind of saw like those that's kind of where I see myself going. You know, like I'm never going to quit stand up because I just love it so much, but I'm I'm getting into like, I don't know, boss mode. So my boy calls me in. I sit down with this potential producer and finance guy and a couple of his people and we sit there, we start chopping it up and he's got a few stories that he wants to get developed. And lo and behold, one of them or two of them take place in Detroit. And we start talking about Detroit, and we start chopping it up, and it turns out we're both huge boxing fans and both fanatic about the fight game. And I started telling him about boxing in the 80s in Detroit and back in the Hearns, Hagler, Hearns, Leonard, Hearns, Duran, you know, Duran, Leonard, those back in those days of the heyday of boxing and how, you know, in Detroit it was a, it was a tough time because – Back in the day, the, the, a lot of the drug kingpins in Detroit were trying to get their hooks into the fighters, and it was real tough because they all came from the same neighborhood, and they were friends, and hold on, who's calling me? Eh. And they were all friends, so it's tough when your friend is a kingpin and you are an athlete and trying to be something. So, and... um so we started talking story, story, story. I thought maybe he was going to interview a bunch of different writers and da-da-da. Meeting ends, and he calls my boy, and he goes, that's it. I got my guy. I don't want to meet anybody else. And this is a week and a half, two weeks later, and we are in motion. And a deal memo was sent to my lawyer to start a production company situation and for me to begin this writer's room and development process along with writing him his first film because uh, he wants to direct as well. And so it's just a good moment, man. And I'm not a celebrator because I just don't celebrate. I just don't. I don't know why. I, I, to me, the work is the worship. The work is the fun. Sitting down, writing, you know, looking up, it's three hours later. That's what I like. I don't really... You know, when a deal comes across, you get really excited for like 40 seconds. And it's, you know, it's psychology. It's like anything. It's like, you know, you, nobody, nobody, you know, if you think money's coming in, you see money coming in. It's money. Money helps you for a second. I get it. It pays bills. It does this. It does that. But, you know, the joy, the excitement of the whole thing lasts like 21 seconds. That's it. So, Bottom line is this could be a beautiful year. The deal's not signed yet, but it is in my lawyer's hands, 
and everything looks good and I have no reason to believe that it's not going forward and by next week we should be in a really cool situation with a really cool company and I don't want to say any names right now I don't want to drop company names or people names or any of that I just want to say I'm super excited I'm gearing up my creativity I'm so weird that I already started like already outlining for the movies so but he doesn't know it like my dude who you know who who I'm going to be working with and four, he has no idea that I've been sitting in the cut, just like note cards are out, outlines are starting. I already called one of the subjects of the film, and I've had like four hour-long conversations with him just to get his story down. So that's where we're at. That's where the week is. Went to Arizona, did my podcast live on video, uh, stories that need to be told from you from uh, downtown Phoenix. First ever All Things Comedy Comedy Festival. Bill Burr, Al Madrigal, Burt Kreischer, Ari Shafir, Jason Tebow, uh, who else was there? Jay Larson was there, uh, Kate Quigley, um, Nick Youssef, just uh, Ryan Sickler, just a gang. It was like 40 comedians, first annual, first ever uh, all things comedy festival. And I got to tell you, they pulled it off big on that uh, I, I interviewed Joel Bashkoff and Matt Komen, who own the Improvs, a bunch of Improvs. I just wanted to get down and talk to them and be like, "Yo, what, what, what's you know what's really going on here? Who are you booking? Why am I not headlining everywhere?" And it's very simple. They need to sell tickets, and if you're not famous or got some weird trending thing, you're not you're not headlining for them. And that's just the way it goes. And I get it. I'm not mad at them. But I wanted to talk stories with them because they've seen everything. They were telling me how Mike Epps started, his crew started a riot at Stand Up Live like a month ago. Shit was flying. People were getting stomped out. You know, they've seen it all. And, you know, you you see it all in comedy. Comedy is dangerous. Comedy, next to football, comedy might be the most dangerous sport. You know, you're out there, you're a free radical, you're anything can happen, you're exposed on stage, you know, no people don't look out for you. The fuck of the security guards at comedy clubs look like, you know, look like yoga teachers and, you know, and weed growers. There's nobody tough working at a comedy club, you know, they need to get that going. But it was an amazing festival. I uh, landed at 11.30, did my podcast 1 to 2.30. I went on The Nerdist with Graham Elwood. I went on his podcast directly after that, and it was great. It was really cool reconnecting with my boy, Graham Elwood. I went to college with him, and he was actually an inspiration to me because I saw him do stand-up. He opened for Barry Sobel back in the early 90s at University of Arizona, and I saw him do stand-up, and he rocked like 3,000 people at U of A in an auditorium, and I was like, wow, that's what I want to do. And I knew I wanted to do it, but I was too scared in college. So that was very cool, very cool. And then we just went out, and, you know, you get a bunch of comedians. First of all, you get a bunch of comics in a room. It can be annoying because they just talk over each other, and I'm not an over-talker. I don't talk over people. I don't step on your words while you're talking. Being in a room with a bunch of comics is like being in a cocaine festival. Everybody's just running their mouth. But this was a good crew, and it was fun to see. Ari was on his like month-long cleanse of no alcohol, no marijuana. Burt Kreischer was miserable; he couldn't drink either. So it was funny to see, you know, two sober dudes in their full-blown contest. 
and uh, it was just great. I watched Bert do his live podcast at Stand Up Live uh, in the afternoon to a packed, crazy packed crowd. And I was like, damn, people doing pod- this podcast shit can be real. So that was really cool. He had Doug Stanhope, who's a great comic mind and a wild dude. Stanhope was out there, hammered Doug Benson, Kreischer, and they did their podcast uh, for a big crowd over there. It was really awesome. And then more really cool news. So, you know, I ghost wrote, you know, I don't really talk about it a lot because I don't know it's I don't know if it's the contract, but and no one's really told me not to say anything. But I ghost wrote Michael Rappaport's book, This Book Has Balls. And by ghostwriting, I just mean I collaborated with Rappaport. You know what I mean? Like he fed me, you know, bullet points. I turned them into chapters. And believe me, it's all his point of view. It's his voice beyond clear as day. But I just was the ghostwriter. So I had a deal with Simon & Schuster. And the book came out about a week ago. And it is currently number three on its way to two or one of sports books Above Tom Brady. Above Julian Edelman. And it's a cool moment, man. It's a really cool moment. And I got to say, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a muscle I didn't know I had writing a, a book, you know, because especially for a guy like Rappaport, whose point of view is so damn clear and obvious and, you know, kind of frantic. So I had to be in his brain with his voice for a long time. And we worked on the book for like, I'd say nine, 10 months. And I think it's going great. He is on a book tour right now, and he is on a promotional tour. And if you're listening, go get the book. This book has balls by Michael Rappaport. Um, You'll hear me open up the first chapter on the audio portion, too. So download the audio. It's super cool. Um, I wrote one chapter as a stage play. When Rappaport wanted to evict Phil Jackson, I just wrote it as a stage play. So Ron Perlman from Sons of Anarchy. Perlman plays Phil Jackson, Rappaport plays himself, I play Kurt Rambis as Jackson's lawyer, and Paul Ben Victor plays the judge, and it's just a funny, you know, a funny scene, and it's about a 20-minute chapter, it's real cool, but I open up the book as the copy editor, and I really just rant about how impossible it was to work with Rappaport, which obviously is not true, he was awesome to work with, amazing to work with, and easy to work with. You know, we just kept it flowing, and it was really just a really cool process. He'd send me like eight bullet points, tell me I want to do this in this chapter. Bam, I turn it into something, send it back. I love it, I love it, I love it. Can you change this, tweak this, add a little more of this? And we really just got into a rhythm where we spoke each other's language, and I'm proud of it. I am really proud of it because it's an original-type book. It's sports, but it's also comedy. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's some lowbrow funny humor. And it's all Rappaport all day. And it's really cool to see, you know, he's been in my last two movies. And it's just cool to see him take this like little left turn into the sports world and into the ranting world. And into, because all, all the, the deal is all artists are looking to find their point of view. And he has a clear point of view. Shit annoys him. I mean, and it's no joke. I mean, he was thrown out of 13 schools you know, before he was out of high school, you know, and it's almost impossible to get thrown out of like public school in New York City, but he did it. And the book, we just, you know, there's, there's a, there's, there's a chapter on uh, Lawrence Taylor. There's a chat and why he's the greatest football player to ever play the game. And the tongue in cheek portion of that is that Lawrence Taylor is the greatest player to ever play the game because 
he fucking set every record and every sack record while on crack. And listen, I know it's sad, but the shit is true. You know what I mean? Waking up Sunday morning, hitting the glass pipe, going out and getting four sacks. You got to be an amazing athlete to do it. And LT did it. So there's a chapter on that. We do a chapter on why nobody's studying the brain of Muggsy Bogues right now. Because, listen, you know, the real deal is Muggsy Bogues is five foot four or five, played in the NBA for 12 years. Why is nobody giving him TED Talks? It's almost impossible to make it into pro sports. I don't care how tall you are. Here's the littlest man on earth, and he's in the NBA. And why is nobody talking about it? So Muggsy, I think after this book comes out, or it is out, I think people are going to start really calling you up, bro. I heard you're already getting phone calls to do speeches, but you need to TED Talk. That's no joke. Um, a lot is going on in Hollywood right now. Well, what else? What other chapters? I mean, there's a bunch of other a ton of other chapters. Rappaport, when he was a little kid, had a crush on Mary Lou Retton. True story. We tell the whole story. He went down to Madison Square Garden and literally half-stalked her like a weirdo with his white Mike belt buckle. And he went down to Madison Square Garden and he, like, you know, lingered around the gymnast. And he was the only dude, dude there. And he was probably six foot tall amongst a gang of gymnasts and girls. And he truly was in love with her and had a shrine in his bedroom to her. That was a funny chapter. There's obviously chapters on Phil Jackson. There's funny side chapters like, you know, greatest stickmen. And, you know, you know who was the greatest stickmen? Burgess Meredith, Warren Beatty, Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, guys that were always good with the women. And there's just some really funny stuff. Rappaport talks about how he was on the set of Copland. And when he was on the set of Copland, he, was, he, he went up to Stallone. He's like, how was it working with Burgess Meredith? And Stallone's like, Burgess Meredith? One of the great stickmen of all time. And it blew Rappaport's mind. But it was true. And so there's just really funny, funny stuff. So go get the book. Download the audio if you want. It's really funny. We had a great time recording it. We recorded up at Henson Studios with um, where, you know, where the literally like Zeppelin recorded, Jewel recorded, the Beatles recorded, old school Henson Studios uh, up on La Brea. And you go in that place and you feel like you're ready to write a song. Like it's no joke. It was incredible up there. And we, it just felt good in there. And uh, so that happened. The book is out, and I'm really proud of it. Rappaport call, you know, he calls me all the time just to kind of say, yo, I can't thank you enough. Could have never done it without you. And, you know, he thanks me, obviously, in the book. You can read it or hear it on the audio, and that feels good, you know. And ghostwriting, it's, I love it, you know. It ain't about the ego. It's about making something great. F the ego, you know what I mean? You don't need, it doesn't matter. You know, people are like, dude, are you mad you didn't get credit? I don't give a shit. I got the money. I got the I got the work. You know what I mean? And I'll get another book. Like, I already have another book deal coming. You know, I just got to wait for white boy Rick to get out of jail. That's another side story I didn't really talk much about. But I think I maybe brought it up on my last podcast for a second, but... Fact remains, white boy Rick is in jail in Florida. He got paroled out of Michigan. They did the movie with Matthew McConaughey playing his father. I told you guys before that I was set to write his book. And when I was negotiating the deal, true story, they transferred him when he got paroled. He got caught up on a racketeering charge from some bullshit years ago that should have never even, he really didn't even do shit. But they, they put him in the hole in Tallahassee. 
So he's in jail in Tallahassee. He's in the hole. I haven't talked to him in three weeks. It's very disturbing. You know, I heard from his lawyer that he was not feeling good, not doing, you know, was not a good situation. I've made some calls to some people high up that I knew, and it's not helping. You know, somebody, powers that be, they want him locked up. So it's it's really a shitty, shitty thing. The kid's done fucking 27 years in prison for a nonviolent drug offense after being used by the feds as a as a as a rat as a narc so it, it's unfortunate but rick's i know he's going to get out there's no way he's going to do this full time in florida they want him to do another year but dude i don't know if you even get podcasts over there but shit man you're coming out you're going to have a knock on wood you have a good rest of your life because 27 years is just, it's just too much to even think about you know so that's where we're at what else? Oh, this comedy store has been bumping lately. Chappelle's been up the last three nights, killing it in every room, just getting back into Dave Chappelle shape, just making me think like, man, I, you know, I, I just, the craft, the craft, the craft, you know? So it's all good. Saget's, uh, his special's coming out soon. When it hits, I know I'll be back on the road. So my life is going to look like this. Writing in the daytime, supervising my writing staff, developing for this company, delivering a script in 12 weeks, and at nighttime I will be doing some shows and getting things together. Um, still been doing everything without an agent. Don't even know if I need an agent. Met with ICM yesterday. Good young agent, hungry dude. I, I don't even know if I need it. I, I don't know. I truly, I, I'm like managing myself. My lawyer's phenomenal. Ironically enough, the meeting I had with these guys, it's 80 feet away from my lawyer's office. So, you know, when when the signs are showing up and you recognize the omens and you pay attention, you know, life is, 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 is coming along nicely. Thanksgiving's coming up. I can't wait to go home and see my mom, my brother, my nephews, the family. Cousins are coming home. That's going to be so awesome. It's like my favorite time of year. It always flies by too quickly. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, everyone's got their life. Um, that's it. That's a good 23 minutes I've been talking. Enough is, a, enough, is enough. Enough about me. Um, it's weird doing a podcast by yourself, but it's Friday night. I'm going out tonight. I'm going to Avenue. It's a club. DJ Khaled's performing. My boys own the place. They run shit out here. I'm just going to be real with you. Um, you know, it's just, a, you know, one of the perks of uh, being in L.A. for this long, you know, and uh, we're going to have some fun out there. Slow sip a little tequila. Maybe drink a coffee to wake up. I got a little lifting in. Did some walking today. My favorite thing, I walk to the Grove. When you're a writer, you have to walk. It's a fact. And that's it. God bless. Mike Young, stories that need to be told. I'll talk to you later. And uh, I'm just going to keep on posting.